So we are trekking through the uh, Book of Acts, um, gradually, slowly, hopefully, as completely as uh, as we can. Um, we find ourselves in Acts chapter two this morning. Uh, we're going to begin in verse fourteen. I said on our bulletin. I actually sort of have to begin at verse thirteen to to get the idea of what we're after. But um, have you ever felt like that you've faltered, um, failed, or floundered when called to tell the truth about Jesus or your faith to others? Have you ever felt like you were wholly inadequate for the duty, for the job? Um, I think about times that you go, well... You know, I'm just not qualified to tell this truth about Jesus. Because when I take a good, honest evaluation of who I am, I am sinful beyond measure. My heart is dark. My motives are impure. My motives and my will get in the way of telling the truth about Jesus because I am just a flawed person. Do, do we ever feel like maybe you've had an opportunity and you missed it? That you just didn't obey in that moment? Or that there was a fear that crept in, and this is the one that creeps in me all the time. They're not going to like me, so they're going to reject the message. And I think that in those moments we have confused the idea is that it isn't about you anyway. And that it isn't about me anyway. And uh, so as I studied this uh, this week, I think about this first sermon that Peter is about to give. And it is the first empowered proclamation of the gospel. One that they waited as they were told to do. And after the Holy Spirit had come upon them, Peter was now empowered to tell the truth, to, to be the faithful witness about Jesus. And I think it's really appropriate that God chose Peter to be the first one, because there's a lot of Peter in this guy, and there's a lot of Peter in all of us, right? Where we, we think that in our strength and in our power that we have what it takes um, to do this thing called life, to do this thing about being a witness of Jesus and all of that, and then we step on our own toes and get in our own way. Well, that's what I want us to see in the text this morning, that there's a difference in the spirit-empowered witness versus the witness that comes within our own strength and in our own life and in our own ability. So, I want to read from 14 through uh, 41, and then we will go back and kind of look at this. So, 2 Peter, our first, excuse me, Acts, there we go, that's what book we're in. We're in the book of Acts, okay? Remember that? We're in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 2, though. Um, verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only third, the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all those of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now let's think about this spirit-empowered message. And then we'll look a little bit at the spirit-empowered messenger. Okay? First of all, in this spirit-empowered message, we get one of the greatest examples in all of Scripture of the gospel going out and doing what it does, saving souls. That 3,000 were added to the church that day by God. That this spirit-empowered message caused 3,000 people to be joined into the family of God. There's a principle in the scriptures that when something is first mentioned, that we ought to pay close attention because it gives us maybe a framework and a model for future things for us. 
So this being the first spirit-empowered gospel proclamation, I found a lot in this text that we should appropriate in our lives. That I believe that this gives us a good framework for being a good witness of Jesus Christ. A good framework for what does the spirit-empowered witness look like? What are the components of it? Um, so, this component, this thing that we're looking at is, is what do I need? What does it look like to be a truth teller? To be one who tells the truth about Jesus? Number one, I see boldness. That is done in boldness, not in fear. Second, there's an acknowledgement going on of the power of the Spirit at work. What is actually at work here? That's the thing that we notice in this text. We'll see. Number three, that there's a firm grasp on Scripture as proof of what is happening spiritually. Peter had a firm grasp on the Word of God to explain what was going on spiritually. Those are the things that we need as we empower, are empowered to tell the truth about Jesus. Next, we see that Peter uh, properly does an exposition of that scripture. He properly divides that word correctly. Then, we see in this text too that the plan of God is outlined. He outlines the whole plan of God. He talks about this moon and the vapor and all of that stuff. That had not yet come to pass. Lots of what he talked about had come to pass. But as he was telling this to them, he gave them the breadth of the redemptive plan of God. And I think that that is very helpful in us um, proclaiming this witness, is to explain, to explain the full plan of God. Then he explains the scripture in their context. He doesn't contextualize as the world and churches seem to want us to do today. They want us to look and act like the world and bring that into our church and that then that way we'll be heard. No. What, what Peter does here is he explains the same words that he explained in one section of the passage. He re-explains it to them in their context so that they would get it. He didn't acquiesce to their context. He just explained it in a context that they might understand that their world and their worldview would get. Um, I think that is important for us to remember as we are witnessing is remember that we speak in a context of the culture. Next, we see that the full gospel is presented, not just a piece of it. The whole gospel is presented. He presents the life of Jesus he presents Jesus' death on the cross. He presents the resurrection of Jesus. And if you remember from the past two weeks, we say that all that we do, everything that we do as a witness of Jesus Christ hinges on the resurrected Jesus. That this Jesus we are proclaiming is alive. Our God is alive. It hinges on that, my friends. And it's everywhere in this text. It's everywhere in the book of Acts. It's everywhere in the Gospels we read that everything hinges on a resurrected Jesus. It hinges on that. So, every day is Easter. That was the thing I thought about this week, that every Sunday as we gather together, we are celebrating the resurrected Jesus Christ. Every day is Easter. Every day is Resurrection Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Then also we see in here that God is sovereign. 
but it's coupled with something. Man has a responsibility. God is sovereign, but man has responsibility. He's responsible because of the sovereignty of God. But it's all God's work. But man still has a responsibility. And we'll see that Peter lets no one off the hook. He doesn't let the Jews off the hook. He doesn't let the Gentiles off the hook. He doesn't let himself off the hook. He doesn't let anybody off the hook. Man is responsible and God is sovereign. This is God's redemptive plan for mankind. So let's look at verses 13 and 14. So I'm going to back up one verse because it really um, gives me sort of this key idea to this whole text. So if we look at verse um, 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Verse 14 says, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Okay, so we see the two buts, and I think they're important. So verse 15 says, but some men said that these guys are drunk and they don't know what they're talking about. They are out of their mind, right? But Peter boldly stands up and says, hear this, men. I'm about to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ. And consequently, I'm going to tell you the truth about you. So be prepared. Be prepared because... I'm going to tell you the truth about you, and it's all written in the scripture. So you need to hear this. So there's this boldness that goes on. And when I was thinking about, about Peter, I'm like, we could, I could have named this message the empowered coward. Because many of you might remember Peter's shameful moment. Right? Remember Peter's shameful moment? Let's flip there to Luke uh, 22. We'll begin verse 54. We'll see Luke's moment of shame. And I want us to emphasize a a bit of thought here. Is about moments. We have moments. There are moments in our lives that are defining. And there are moments that this moment, to me, is the most important moment of my whole life. Because in this moment, a finite man is going to be met by an infinite God. And it's for this moment. It's for this time. For such a time as this, we were brought here to hear the very words of God. But Peter had some moments of shame. We've had our moments of shame. We've had our moments where we neglected to do our duty. We had our moments where fear crept in and where fear took over. Where we were not empowered by the Spirit, but we were empowered by our own selves or our own thoughts or uh, our own comforts, maybe. Um, so here we see an example of this in Peter's life in Luke 22, beginning verse uh, 54. Then they seized him and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, that is, he was also with Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And later, a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them, Peter said. Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, 
He was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. In that moment, there was a moment of shame. There was a moment of gospel proclamation for Peter. He had a moment. All he had to do is say, yes, he is the savior of the world. Peter at one other time said that, did he not? Did he not say, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of God. He had a moment of shame. But like us, Peter had also a moment of redemptive power in the power of God. Peter had his moment of redemption. Let's flip there to John uh, 21. And we'll look at uh, verse 15. So he has a moment of shame. And he has a redemptive moment. And they're defining moments. And these defining moments, I think both the shame and the redemption are valuable in the Spirit-empowered witness. They are both valuable. They are both used mightily to proclaim the truth of the Gospel. So let's look at at John, at the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Is that not a moment of redemption? It's a moment when... When he says, here we are, Peter, you had your moment of shame. That moment is forgotten. I have redeemed that moment. In the same way, when you denied me three times, I gave you three times to proclaim your love for me. In the same way. And now this same Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of the gospel. I think that is good news for every one of us in this room. Because we know that we've had our moments of shame. Our moments when we just failed. Uh, we failed God. We felt bad about it. Or we felt terrible. felt like this moment could not be possibly redeemed. Look at how, what a terrible wretch I am. Well, not so. Peter here, the empowered coward... He boldly proclaims the truth of the gospel. Boldly. And what did he do in the meantime? I believe this, too. That it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I believe that somehow in the meantime... Now, so don't take this like as the gospel truth, but um, I would believe that in this time, as he says, feed my lamb, feed my sheep, you know, he gives him these three things, these three opportunities, and this, the idea of what he was to do was to... Feed them the truth of the scriptures. Feed them the word of God. Feed them my word. That is where they will find their nourishment and their salvation. Feed them the word of God. Peter must have fed himself in the word of God. 
because of what he's about to proclaim and his knowledge of the scripture that just comes out as he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, I, I would take it that he must have prepared the word of God in his own heart and in his own life. And I say that for us, if we want to be an effective witness to Jesus Christ, I think that we must be empowered by the word of God, that we must spend time knowing what the scripture says to us so that in those moments when we have our moment where Holy Spirit power comes upon us, we won't shirk the Holy Spirit, we won't deny the Holy Spirit, we won't try to quiet the Holy Spirit because we will know that the word of God is in us and that the word of God then will come out of us. And so, let's look at verses 16 through 21 of Acts chapter 2. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it'll come to pass, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, we see he has a firm grasp on Scripture. We see that he does a proper exposition of the Scripture. He just says what the scripture says. He just reads it as it is. Right? He has a, a, an understanding of, of God's redemptive plan. He has an understanding of the fullness of God's plan. And that some things are coming to pass. Some things have come to pass. And what you're hearing today is that. I think he also defines the spirit at work here. Because... In verse 13, they, they say, no, these guys, they don't know what they're talking about. They're filled with new wine. And Peter says, that's not the spirit at work here. He definitely says, that's not the spirit at work. It's not the spirit of wine. It's not the spirit of drunkenness. It is the Holy Spirit of God is speaking in this moment. And he's speaking to you as the word of God says. He has the word of God to back this up and says, no, this is the spirit of God speaking to you. And I will show you the word of God proclaims this very thing that you see right in front of your face. This is what this is about. And I think that that also helps us when we think about um, speaking in context. That in context, when we look at the world and what's going on. Uh, a person has a worldview that might be uh, different, of course, than what the Christian worldview is. But when we have the Word of God hidden in our hearts and hidden in our lives, and by matter of practice, as Hebrews says, that we use it by matter, it's by a matter of use. You have used it so much, you've spent so much time in it, that this comes out in those moments. I, I remember moments when it has happened with me when... I was witnessing to a person, and I said something from the scripture. I don't even remember what it was. This was about seven or eight years ago. And I said something, and I like, did I know that? After I left the conversation, I'm like, how did I know that? I didn't know I knew that. Well, the Spirit of God had revealed the Word as had been a practice. It had been something that I had engaged in. And in that moment, God gave me the very words from the scripture that came out. And I believe that that is what happened here with Peter. Now let's look at 22 through 24. Because we're going to see here 
that the Spirit-empowered witness proclaims the full gospel, doesn't give us part of one. I think often in our churches we have, we have been guilty, I believe, of only giving part of the gospel, only giving a, a piece. The, the one that we often give is, is the cross and the death of Jesus Christ, that, um, you know, you can do whatever you want because Jesus paid a price for you. It's kind of an excuse. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Okay, since I believe that Jesus died for my sins, then all is forgiven and everything is taken care of. It's only a partial gospel. It's only a partial gospel. Because the fullness of the gospel includes Jesus' life and how he lived it as a model for us to do so. It also includes the resurrected Jesus because there's a new life that we are called to live, right? The old life is gone. Only because of Jesus' death can the old life be gone. So we need the full gospel message. And Peter clearly communicates this full gospel message after he proclaims what the word of God says in Joel. He then speaks this in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. That is the life of Christ. You saw the life of Christ lived out in front of you. You saw God's mighty hand on him. You saw God working through him. You witnessed those things. You witnessed the life of Jesus. He's telling these men of Israel. And then... He says this in verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Again, here he's saying, the death of Christ was not an accident. It wasn't God's second plan. It was God's plan. And that God's foreknowledge and his definite plan put Jesus on the cross. But here's the thing. It was in a sovereign moment of God. It was in the sovereignty of God that Jesus would pay the price for our sins on the cross. But he lets no one off the hook. He says this, you crucified. Blaming the Jews. You crucified him. Then the Gentiles by the hands of lawless men. The lawless men were the Gentiles, the Romans, the ones that you know, took him there, that nailed So no one is let off the hook. This is good and powerful as we witness to our friends and our neighbors throughout the world, isn't it? It's good to remember this, I think. And it's good to remember not only that those that we witness to are guilty of the death of Jesus on the cross, so am I. So am I. And as I proclaim this truth to them, I can say this boldly and assuredly, right? I can say this. I crucified Jesus, and he was killed by my lawless hands. He was killed by my lawless hands. I am not off the hook. But here's good news. It was in God's design, his definite plan, and his foreknowledge that this took place. So God is not surprised by my sinfulness. God is not surprised... uh, by these lawless deeds that I have done. And then he says this 
in verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So again, this resurrected Jesus. Jesus did not stay dead. dead. Death could not hold him because he had no sin that would hold him there. He had nothing that would hold him there. And here's the thing, that we too then can appropriate that for us and for those that we are telling the truth about Christ to. We can say this, that yes, although you crucified Christ and by your lawless deeds you hung him there, but this was the plan of God all along. That this Jesus, God also raised him up from the dead. And here's good for you, news for you, my brother, though you were dead. Though you were dead because of your lawless deeds, Though you were dead because of those things that you may have transgressed God's righteousness. Although you were dead because of the power of Jesus Christ. If you believe that by faith, guess what? Death cannot hold you either. Death has no hold on you either, my brother or my sister. You too can experience a new life in a resurrection, in a resurrected new life because it is in the foreknowledge and the plan of God. Here, my friends, is the full gospel. It is the full gospel. So I love that Peter, he proclaims the fullness of the gospel and then he wants to, in these next couple of verses, put it in the context of the hearer. He wants them to fully understand the context of what he has already been talking about because resurrection would have been a tough thing for them. So he wants to get it in their context so that they might understand that the things that they held on to, the traditions that they held on to, this David who was their great king, he understood the resurrection too. And so he would say, in your context, you must understand this too. So he begins in verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, is a, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Do you see how that is contextual? It's not succumbing to the context in the culture. It's, here it is, the truth in your culture. I'm telling you that this truth that the scripture says, it applies to your culture. It applies to the culture out here in the world that we uh, live in. It applies to our neighbors. Well, they had David's great king, and see this too, that he says that there's a responsibility here, I believe, to this sovereign God. That God in his sovereignty has shown you this. That the resurrection of Christ is throughout the scriptures. It's throughout the ones that you hold most dear. It's throughout your kings that you hold most dear. That, that with this then comes some responsibility. 
you must respond to that. Uh, you are part of it. You are not let. You are not let off the hook. Your ignorance of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus is not an excuse. You have a responsibility to a sovereign God, whom whom loves you, even when you don't. Even when you don't, He loves you. Well. Again, I say that in this text, in this part, when he, he re-emphasizes the full gospel again, he re-emphasizes it again and again because he wants to talk about this life of Jesus. He wants to talk about his death and his resurrection, right? So he gives him the full gospel, and then he gives him the full gospel again in context. Here's the full gospel as the word of God says it. Here's the full gospel in your particular context in your life. I think that that is a powerful tool that we might use as we are being used of God to be witnesses of Jesus in the world. Is that we can tell them what the scripture says because we know it. We can tell them about the life and the death of Christ in the scripture. But we also tell them about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, the full gospel, as it pertains to your life. And, guess what? This is where we get out of the way. This is where we need to get out of the way. Because we looked at 1 Corinthians 1, 18 in the beginning uh, of our service this morning. As we looked at verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the very power of God. Well, as you can see, that in that moment when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came, some were cut right away and were participants in this movement that the Holy Spirit was doing. And still others said, no, they're full of new wine. Those were perishing. And the world around us is perishing. And that emboldens Peter. It doesn't make him cast those folks off as lost and forgotten. Notice that Peter immediately then says, No, brothers, what you see going on is a Holy Spirit movement. He explains it to them. He explains them the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, his life, his death, his resurrection, right? He gives them all of that um, a second time. Let's look at verse 37 through the end and we see the response to the empowered witness of Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and Peter said, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I'm going to ask that of this room. If today you've heard the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your ears and only the Holy Spirit could reveal this truth to you, that could transform you from a life that is perishing to one that is being saved, that is the message this morning, the power of God to you. If it is the power of God to you as you sit here this morning, you might be thinking, what shall I do? What must I do? Because it is calling for a response. God is calling for us to respond as we hear the gospel proclaimed. And these brothers hear this and they say they are cut to the heart. Isn't that the matter, isn't it? That is the matter of when each one of us who came to salvation, we were cut to the heart. That, that this message, we heard it. And this power of the gospel message, this power of the cross became real 
and alive in us, and it cut us to the heart. And our first natural response, I think it was mine, and, and I hope that it is somebody's today, and I hope that it is yours, is to say, what then shall I do? What must I do? What must I do? And notice this, that he doesn't give them the law. He doesn't say, here are the Ten Commandments, and here's a whole list of things that you need to follow. It's simple. He says, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Turn. Simply turn around. Turn around and get all that God has for you. Simply repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. It's a simple thing. Turn and you will have the very thing you just saw. You will have the very power that God has put in me to proclaim this truth to you. Turn. Turn. I love that. Because I know that when I ask the question, what shall we do? I want a list of things. I, I, want, a, I want a long list of what not to do. Of the places not to walk. The things not to touch. The places not to go. And Peter simply here says, repent. Repent and be baptized into a brand new life. Reckon the old man dead, as we were talking Wednesday night in Bible study. You've got to get to that point sometimes where you just say, you know what, I reckon that old guy dead. Yes, he is one who did the lawless deed that put Jesus Christ on the cross, but I reckon him dead, and I am alive again and brand new in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about, this baptism idea, is identify with the full gospel. Identify with Jesus' life, his death. And his resurrection. Identify with him in the fullness of what the gospel is. And guess what? For, for your obedience to that. For your uh, responsibility to that. God says, I'm going to give you the gift of myself. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to live in you. To help you. To help you decide what to do next. To how to live. The things not to touch. The things to touch. The things to be involved in. I'm going to be that help for you. I love that. That's the truth of, of the gospel. And it's not heavy. It's a gospel of grace. It is a gospel of God's good grace that saved us. God's grace saved us at the cross. God's grace doesn't leave us there. God's grace, he says here, he says, I give you, will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. This God-given gift of grace that I will be the one that guides you as you walk. And here's this. This promise in verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Lord our God is the one doing the calling. Make no doubt about it. That if today you are cut to the heart, our Lord is calling you. Our Lord is calling you to Himself. That is by His power. It's not by the words that I have spoken here today. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us and correcting us and turning us to Him. That it is the power of God. And we have a responsibility then to respond. And what is that responsibility? Just turn to Him. That's the responsibility. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Remember in Exodus, when the law came down, what happened? When the law came down, 3,000 souls died. God's gift of grace. This is God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ. That if you are convicted by the, of the heart, God adds souls to the church. God is adding them daily. I prayed this morning for about 30 minutes upstairs. And I prayed this specifically. And this is my prayer. It's been my prayer all morning. It's been my prayer as I'm standing here. Uh, is that I believe that God is adding to His church daily. Those who are being saved. And I think that happens by a spirit-empowered witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think this, that it's not just me who stands up here and proclaims this spirit-empowered gospel witness. It is a room full of people who proclaim that spirit-empowered gospel witness. That they tell the whole truth about the life of Jesus. The full gospel as we gossip it amongst each other. As we run into problems with each other, as we've said a few weeks ago, as we run into those things, how do we bring the gospel to bear the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, his life, his death, his resurrection? It applies to all of us. It applies to all of us. And I think this, that through you and through me and through us together in this fellowship, that God will add souls to this church daily, those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, I thank you again for your Holy Spirit's power. I pray, Lord, that you use this weak man, this sinful, lawless man, to do the things that you would call me to do. I pray that in this church, that you would call each one of us to um, proclaim the truth of your gospel, the fullness of it, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I pray uh, too, Lord, that if there's one today that was cut to the heart, I pray that today is the day of salvation and they would be asking in their own hearts, what shall I do? And you would whisper by the power of your spirit, repent. Just turn to me. I have grace and mercy for you. Turn to me. In Jesus' precious name, amen.